And thank you so much for gathering with us to worship and to welcome those who are watching via live stream. Uh, this morning is a day we kind of set apart every year to look ridiculous. And so I get to wear this sweatshirt that my daughter helped me pick out. She saw this panda, which is her favorite animal, and said, Baba, that panda's eating a candy cane. You so funny. <laughs> and I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm wearing. So it worked out perfect today. You know, it was probably one of the most significant moments in history. Simon Peter stands up in Jerusalem and preaches the gospel. And 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. And the church was born. And from that point forward, the Lord began to work amongst his people, drawing people to faith in Christ. What's interesting is for the first 300 years after the birth of the church, there was significant persecution. For those who claimed to follow Jesus, there were Roman Caesars and governors who would rise up to persecute and to bring hardship against those who claim the name of Christ. Why? Because these Christians kept declaring that they would not bow or worship any other God. In fact, they declared that there was a king greater than Caesar and his name is Jesus. They would not compromise, they would not back down, and they remained faithful. You see, at times, Christians would be crucified, sawn in two, fed to wild beasts, dipped in hot wax, and set on fire for Emperor Nero's garden parties. You see, following Jesus costs you. Well, in the year 306, a new emperor arrived on the scene named Constantine. Constantine had a vision in which it was revealed to him that he was to legalize Christianity. And with this new freedom, church buildings were constructed. Christians began to experience peace in this world. But with this newfound favor, dangerous heresies, dangerous false teachings crept into the church. The most popular false teaching was through a man named Arius. Arius argued that Jesus was a created being. He argued that Jesus was not the eternal God. He even began writing songs and chants in which they would declare together, there was a time when the sun was not. Well, in 325, Constantine wanted to bring closure to this debate over Arius's arguments. And so church leaders met in the city of Nicaea to settle the dispute they concluded that Arianism is to be rejected as false teaching and that Jesus Christ, as revealed in Scripture, is indeed the eternal God. The church stood firm on the Bible and held up Jesus as God come in the flesh. At this council, they came up with a decree or a creed. In fact, on the screen, I want you to see a portion of what this creed was like. And I'm like, for all of us, let's read this creed together out loud. Join me in saying this. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. 
And we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. And for 1,700 years, the church has recited these words together and declared the truth that is held within them, that Jesus is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one being with the Father. You see, knowing and declaring and singing the truth about Jesus matters which is why this Christmas we are unpacking the hymn that we just sang together. 280 years ago, Charles Wesley penned those words to hark the herald angels sing. And we just sang together with gusto, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. You see, Christmas is a time in which we are reminded that Jesus was born to be God with us. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. The Gospel of John was written by John the disciple, the same author of 1 John and 2 John and 3 John and the book of Revelation. He gives his thesis, he gives his purpose for writing this gospel at the end of the book. In chapter 20, verse 31, John says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, John is making the argument that Jesus is God's son. He is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He is the Christ that came into this world. And those who believe in him, those who trust in him, find life. John records this for us in John 10, 10, where he says, for the thief came to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. This is why Jesus came, is so that all who believe upon him find life. You see, this baby born in a manger is no ordinary child. And so to direct our attention, to direct our affection towards Jesus this Christmas is the call to behold the wonder of Jesus, to indeed give glory to the newborn king. As we Look at John chapter one this morning. It reminds us of who we worship. And it reminds us of who we celebrate. So I put this in your notes. This Christmas, let's celebrate number one. Jesus is the eternal God. John chapter one, begin with verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John begins his gospel by making the indisputable declaration that Jesus is God. John also mirrors Genesis 1.1 that says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
John is announcing that Jesus is the Logos. He is the Word. He is the eternal God. You see, the Word, verse 1, is a person who has always existed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 2, he sums up verse 1, and he restates it for emphasis. He was with God in the beginning. We see in the text that Jesus has always existed as God the Son. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. You see, Jesus, the Word of God, was with God in the beginning because he was God, he is God, and he will always be God. Jesus is not a created being. He is the eternal God. We see this affirmed in the other gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, particularly at Jesus' baptism. For it was there, after Jesus came up out of the water, the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, and the Father speaks words of blessing over his Son and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We see the Father and the Spirit affirming the Son as the promised Messiah. He is the eternal God. In John chapter 8, Jesus gets into a debate with religious leaders of the day. And he was boldly declaring that he had seen Abraham and Abraham had seen him. Well, these religious leaders were like, Jesus, you're not even 50 years old. How is it that you have been, you've seen Abraham? They were so angry. How could you make a declaration like that? Jesus responds, John chapter eight, verse 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. He's making a declaration of who he is as God. Here he is using a term that Moses found in the desert when God revealed himself as that I am who I am. Jesus is declaring himself as the eternal God. This made these Jewish leaders so angry that Jesus would claim to be God that they picked up stones to try and kill him. Who are you to declare that you're the deity of God? Who are you to declare that you're the eternal God? You see, when you're confronted with Jesus, the eternal son of God, there are two responses, receive him or reject him. You may say, well, I'm I'm not gonna choose. Well, not to choose is to choose. You receive him or you reject him. You see, the world stomachs Jesus as a good man, but they reject him as the God-man. The world likes Jesus as a moral teacher, but they reject him as the king of the world. The world tolerates Jesus in a manger, but they reject him as the king who's on his throne. You see, when you come to Jesus, you come to him on his terms, not yours. He is the king and he is the eternal God. And either you bow before Jesus now or you will bow before Jesus later. This Christmas, humble yourself. Bow before your king. 
Give glory to the newborn king. Look inside the manger and see the eternal God. If you do not humble yourself, you will one day be humbled. And Philippians 2 will come to fulfillment in which it declares that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe that even Satan himself will bow his knee and with gritted teeth declare Jesus is Lord. Receive him or reject him. If you do not receive him and humble yourself, you will one day be humbled for rejecting him. Therefore, this Christmas, receive him. He is the eternal God. He is God who is the one who has always existed. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christmas is a season to celebrate that Jesus is the eternal God. But secondly, what we see in the text is that we see that Jesus is God come in the flesh. God come in the flesh. Look at verse 14. John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We saw back in verse one that the word was with God, the word was God, and the word was with God in the beginning. Now we see verse 14, that the word took on a human body. You see, after God's people escaped from Egypt, God commanded them to construct a tabernacle, a tent where worship was to take place. Exodus 26, God gives very specific detail of what he wants this tent to look like and what it is to contain. This would be the place where God would encamp, he would live, he would dwell with his people. So inside the tabernacle, God came and he dwelt among his people. He would live with them. John 1.14, Jesus, the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. You see, Jesus is the tabernacle of God. Jesus is the one who came and dwelt among us. He came to live among his people. Yes, Jesus is the eternal God, but who has always existed in eternity past. Verse one, yet don't miss the miracle of Christmas that the eternal word took on flesh. Jesus was human just like you and me. When Jesus got tired, he slept. When Jesus got hungry, he ate. When Jesus got thirsty, he drank. Jesus, he felt stress discouragement and disappointment. Jesus attended weddings and funerals. Jesus laughed and told jokes. Jesus was 100% man. You see, the glory of Christmas is that the one who reigns on high took breaks at rest stops after a long journey. The king of kings washed feet. The one who turns water into wine ate with sinners and tax collectors. The ruler of the universe was born to a poor young girl covered in scandal. 
In Matthew chapter one, we see how Mary becomes pregnant and Joseph decides to call off the engagement, to call off the upcoming marriage because he knows he's not the father. But being a righteous man, he does not want to publicly shame Mary, so he decides to divorce her, to call off the engagement, but he does so in private. But before he does, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream, saying, don't be afraid to marry that girl, because the son inside of her is from the Holy Spirit. You're to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This was in fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah would take place in Isaiah 7, 14. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. This is such good news. Because y'all, when we couldn't get to God by our good works, when we couldn't get to God by our philosophy, when we couldn't get to God by our religious works, when we couldn't get to God by our New Year's resolutions, God came to be with us. We're just saying this together. Hail the incarnate deity. That word incarnate, it means to take on human flesh. And we sing these words, we say, hail him, welcome him, celebrate God come in human flesh. Christmas is a marvelous mystery of God becoming like one of us. You see, Jesus came to be with us so that we can be with him forever. Jesus became man so that he would die for our sins. As our federal head, Jesus is not only fully God, but fully man. And he tabernacled with his people. And he made atonement for our sins through his bloody, awful death on the cross. You see, in Jesus, God fully identifies with us so that through his death, he might pay for your sins in full. Jesus had flesh and blood just like me and you. And if he lived today, he would not only be able to attend a funeral and raise the dead, but be able to change someone's tire on the way home. Fully God, fully man. And because he was fully man, he was able to fully die in our place. He would be fully dead for three days. And on the third day, he was fully made alive. He rises from the dead, defeats death itself. So all who turn from their sin and trust in him by faith, you too will be fully alive in him. So we see in the text that Jesus is the eternal God. We see number two, that Jesus is God come in the flesh. I want you to see this morning, thirdly, that Jesus is God revealed. He is God revealed. Verse 18 no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. John makes it clear that no man has ever seen the invisible God. You see, in the Old Testament, if someone caught a glimpse of God in his glory, they died. To behold God in all of his glory is a death sentence. 
In Exodus 33, when Moses asked to see God's glory, God told him, I'm not gonna be able to show you my face. I'm only gonna show you my back. Why? Because no one may see me and live. Tradition holds that on the day of atonement, the one day every year, that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, a rope was tied around his ankle and bells around his waist. Because if he goes into the Holy of Holies with any unconfessed sin, he would die. And so the rope would be used to pull him out and the bells would alert the priests that he had fallen down. Because who wants to volunteer to go in there to go get him? Imagine being a priest saying, okay, who, who wants to go get them? Anybody? You see, to come into the very presence of God means that you are going to die. Therefore, who can approach the Almighty? Nobody. This is why when Isaiah and Ezekiel, when they had a vision of the throne of God, they're full of terror. Isaiah cried out, woe is me, for I am ruined. You see, God is high and exalted and his majesty far surpasses any grandeur of this temporary world. And so no one can approach the Almighty. So he approaches us. Jesus, verse 18, who is God himself, has revealed him. You see, if you want to know what is God like, look at Jesus. Jesus is God come in the flesh. And he is the one who reveals what God is like. And so since you and I cannot go to God on our own, we cannot go in our own strength. We don't have the wisdom or the power or the authority to go on our own. We have a great high priest. We have one who's our mediator, one who goes between and brings us into the very presence of God himself. This is, in, this is why when you pray, you pray in Jesus' name. Because your prayers are not from you, but you have to go through your mediator, through your high priest, King Jesus. And you approach the throne room with boldness. You can find help in your time of need because the one who is sovereign over all things cares so much about you that he sends his one and only son. So what does this look like for us? Can practically, how do we live this out? The reality of God sending his son? Well, the answer is a lot. You and I get to spend the rest of our lives here on earth and all of eternity to discover the beauty and the majesty and the depths of the riches of God that he has done through his son. But for the sake of our time this morning, I put in your notes three truths. Three truths. The first is this. Jesus came so that in him you have victory over temptation. You have victory over temptation. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. You see, Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be faced with temptation. 
He knows the allure of wealth. He knows what it is to be tempted with ungodly anger. Jesus was tempted to be resentful. Jesus was tempted to be self-pitying. Jesus was tempted with greed. Jesus was tempted with lust. Jesus was tempted with unbelief. But praise God, Jesus remained sinless. Never once did Jesus sin. And this is good news. Because he was sinless, he was our perfect sacrifice. If Jesus ever sinned, you and I are headed for hell. Because it means that his death on the cross was insufficient. He was not the perfect sacrifice. He was not the blameless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But over and over and over throughout the New Testament, God makes himself clear. Jesus is the perfect eternal son of God who never sinned. He was perfect in all of his ways. But because he overcame temptation through his cross, he not over. He not only sets us free through his death on the cross, but through the cross, he empowers you to say no to temptation. The Holy Spirit, who is God himself, abides and lives inside of believers. And because of the cross, when you are tempted this afternoon, you can say no. In the power of God, through Jesus Christ, your mediator, your great high priest, you have the ability to say no to temptation when it comes crouching at your door. You can master it. You can say no to temptation. So when it's that image on the computer screen or that opportunity to begin thinking too much of yourself or thinking too low of yourself or you begin harboring bitterness and unforgiveness towards someone else, when you begin harboring anger, bitterness, frustration, impatience, when those temptations come, you can say no, all because of Jesus, who lived that perfect life that you and I couldn't live, but through his death empowers us to live the victorious life and say no to temptation. I also want you to see, secondly, Jesus came so that in him you are never alone. I put a lot of cross-references in your notes here for you to take home and study I'm gonna give you a, a runway, a, a, a pushing start here. Deuteronomy 31.6, you'll hear some consistencies here. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them for the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 23.4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. When Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he is about to ascend back up into heaven to be with his father, he makes a promise to his disciples in Matthew 28 verse 20, I will be with you even to the end of the age. God himself makes a promise to his people and it is his permanent presence. He will be with you no matter what you face in this life. Never will I abandon you. Never will I leave you. Never will you walk alone. Never do you go into a doctor's appointment by yourself. You will not even face death itself by yourself because I will be with you. 
on the ball field or on the mission field, in the boardroom or the operating room, in the NICU or in the nursing home, when you go to court or when you go to prison, God promises his perfect and permanent presence with you at all times. This Christmas, you may be feeling really lonely. You don't have family close by or relationships are splintered and people just aren't gathering around you. I say to you, even though you may feel lonely, you are never alone. Jesus promised his permanent and perfect presence in your life. And this is good news, y'all. Do you see how good this is? The gospel applies to every part of your life. The gospel gets into every foundation that you're standing upon and says, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is your firm foundation. Jesus is the one who gives you hope and strength and purpose and love and peace, and he permeates all of your life. And the beauty is that not only does God promise his presence in this life, God promises you his presence even in your death. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5.8? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. God promises you his presence in your life, in your death, and in your resurrection. He will be with you to the very end. The third truth I want you to grab hold of of why this is so significant is that Jesus came so that in him you are forever forgiven. No question, Jesus died for all of your sins in your past. Praise God. Yes and amen. But the death of Jesus not only applies to your past, but the death of Jesus covers all of your sins in your life right now and all of the sins in your future. Jesus died for all of your sins. Behold the power of the cross. Listen how the writer of Hebrews addresses it. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way. Okay, remember, we just, we just studied this. Jesus, the eternal son of God, he became God in the flesh, okay? Why? so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God. So through the cross, Jesus is merciful towards you and he is faithful to God. And watch this, to make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus' death was sufficient to pay for all of your sins. You are now forgiven forever. This is who you are. This is your identity. If you're wrestling, who am I in this world? Where do I fit in? God goes on record and says, if you put your faith in my son, you are my forever forgiven child. You are permanently forgiven all because of the blood of Jesus Christ not because of the good things that you have done, not because you're awesome, but because he is awesome. It's all because through the cross, Jesus made a way for you to be set free from sin, death, hell, and the grave, and everything in your past, everything in your present, and everything in your future. This is what the cross accomplished. In Jesus, you are forgiven forever. 
Therefore, you can march forth with victory and confidence and hope and purpose, all because of Jesus and what he accomplished for you. This Christmas, behold, this is no ordinary baby in a manger. This is the eternal God who has come in the flesh, who has revealed God himself. Okay, Kenneth, so what's the call? What are, you, what are you calling us to go and do with this? And it's your impact point, and it's this. This Christmas, hail Jesus. God come in the flesh. Hail him. Receive him. Worship him. Serve him. Obey him. Follow him. God came to this earth for you because he loves you. He knows that in his son only will you find forgiveness and truth and life. And he offers it freely all by his grace and for his glory that you indeed get to draw near to him through his son. Hail the incarnate deity. Hail the son of righteousness. Pleased as men with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel.